0: Apple presents Meet the Author.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest for today, author of
0: Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Third Wheel, available on the iBook store, Jeff Kinney.
1: Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Thanks so much for coming out. This is really cool to be at the Apple Store in SoHo. It's really great. I'm very honored to be invited. And I can't wait to tell you about my journey of becoming an author of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. I'm going to sit down because there's a chair, and you know it's very tempting, so I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to tell you the story of how I became a children's author. And it's kind of a funny story because I didn't really become a children's author on purpose. A lot of things happened along the way that made me into a children's author, but I started off on a completely different path. Uh, when I was in college, I really wanted to be a newspaper cartoonist. So in college, I went to Villanova for a year, and I created my own comic character named Igdoof, right? And here's Igdoof. He's an odd looking freshman. You know, he's very roughly drawn, but he's got. He's got big ears and big lips and a big nose and bug eyes. And also, he's got three little hairs on his head, right? And for some reason, in cartooning, there's a very long history of nearly bald boys, right? The first cartoon character, I think he came out in 1893, and he was called the Yellow Kid. So here's one of the very first cartoon characters ever. And of course, along the way, there were many others, including the most famous of all, Charlie Brown. Right? So, yeah, I heard, a, I, heard, I heard a whoop for Charlie Brown. There we go. So, I think that the reason I created a nearly bald character was because I wanted him to stand out from the rest of the characters. I wanted you to know that when you read Igdoof, that Igdoof was the main character. That this was the main character, this odd-looking fellow. So, along the way, I went to the University of Maryland. I switched schools, and I brought my cartoon character with me. And here you can see Igduf drawing. He's writing on a page and a lot of things changed about his appearance. Everything got kind of exaggerated. My cartoon character was trying to find his form, right? So his ears got bigger, his nose got bigger, his lips got bigger, but those three hairs on his head remained, right? So when Igduf drew himself in his cartoon strips, he didn't draw himself looking awkward or ugly he drew himself looking sort of perfect with a perfectly round head a perfect little nose and a perfectly small ear so if you can imagine that in your head and then take a look at this comic over to the left you can see that Igdoof actually drew himself looking like greg hefley the character in the diary of wimpy kid series so Igdoof has actually been around for a really long time and when i was in college i was working on my strip And I worked on it every day, and I said, you know what, I need some professional advice. I need a real cartoonist to tell me what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. So a new cartoon showed up in my paper, The Washington Post. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and it was called Big Nate. And I really liked the style, and I liked that it was about childhood. So here's a Big Nate comic. So you can see it looks a little bit like Calvin and Hobbes, but it's got its own thing. So I, I really liked it. It really appealed to me. And so I wrote to the author, the artist, the cartoonist, and he wrote me back. I provided him with some samples and then he wrote me back and said, well, here are the things that you can be doing better, right? And here's one of my letters that I got from Lincoln Purse, the artist, right? And you can see, this is back in the time when people actually wrote each other letters. Kids, you might not know what letters are, but there are these pieces of paper you had to write on, you folded them up and put them in an envelope and put a stamp on it. So that's what I did with Lincoln Purse for actually a few years. I wrote back and forth with this cartoonist, and he told me what I could do better. And in this letter here, you can see that he's telling me how to space my word balloons better, my word bubbles better, give my my text a little bit of breathing room. And in cartoons, there's really not a lot of space. So I was trying to tell a big story and pack it into a really small space. So I had lots of words, and I didn't have room to let my words breathe. But Lincoln Purse was saying, you know what? Use less words and then give your words more room to breathe. So that was one of his tips for me. Well, we wrote back and forth for a while. He eventually sent me one of his original cartoons, which was really cool to receive. And then one day my younger brother called me up and said, you've got to look at today's uh, comics. Look at today's Sunday comics. Look at the Washington Post and look at Big Nate. And so I did. And I opened up the paper. Here's what I saw. And at first, I was very excited. I was like, "What? You know, what's what's going on? What's the comic about?" And I couldn't figure out what it was. You know, what he was, what I was supposed to be looking for. And eventually, I saw very, very small on a sticker sheet that Big Nate is holding is a picture of Igdoof, my character. And you can see here that Lincoln Purse drew my character Igdoof with. Uh, Bart Simpson and Garfield, you know, two classic cartoon characters. And for me, this was like a huge honor. For him, it was a squiggle on a page. You know, he was doing me a favor in in being nice to an unpublished cartoonist. But for me, this was the biggest thing that ever happened in my whole life. You know, for me, this was my cartoon appearing, my comic character appearing in the Washington Post. And now, I was a published cartoonist. And I said, well, I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. So sometimes... You know, an author who's, who's really made it big can just take a few minutes to respond to somebody who hasn't made it yet and really make a big change in, in their life. And he really made a big change in mine. So what happened was um, I actually continued on writing my comic, uh, Igdoof, in the Diamondback, which was the University of Maryland's newspaper. And eventually I actually got some notoriety for my own cartoon. And the Washington Post did a big style section. It's like a life page feature on Igduf, right? And so here it is, or here's a part of it. It was actually a, a big page. It was like the full page almost. And that's a 22-year-old version of myself, uh, looking very cocky and confident. Um, you know, they told me that Igduf was going to take on the real world. And there were other sub headlines that said, you know, this this is going to be the next big, uh, big thing in cartooning. And fool that I was, I believed it. Uh, Like I said, I was 22 years old. I felt like I was on top of the world. I felt like I was just on this upward trajectory. And what happened was I didn't get another cartoon or anything at all published for another 14 years. Uh, So this is me at 22 years old. And what I did was I spent a lot of time trying to get Igdoof published after after, uh, college. And there are these, these companies called cartoon syndicates. And what they do is they find the good stuff, they find the good cartoons out there in the world, and then they send them off to the newspapers, right? And so the odds are really not in your favor. I was talking to somebody who heads up a cartoon syndicate recently, and they said, well, they publish about one cartoon, they release about one new cartoon a year. And I said, well, how many submissions do you get a week? And they said about 300 so you can see that the odds were not in my favor. And so what happened to me was that I got lots and lots of these, right? This is a rejection letter, and I, I've got piles of them. And most writers or creators who don't break in, they say, you know, they, couldn't, they didn't see what a genius I was. They didn't see how talented I was. Um, and finally, somebody got it. Uh, for me, it's kind of the opposite. I knew, by looking at my own work, that I wasn't a talented illustrator. I just didn't draw in a style that was professional. And worse, I knew I couldn't get there. I didn't have the same kind of control over your pen that somebody else would. And so eventually, I, th- this revelation hit me. I said, well, I need to be a cartoonist. I want to be a cartoonist, but I can't figure out how. And I said, well, maybe if I draw like a kid, nobody will notice that I'm not a talented illustrator, that I don't illustrate like a professional. And so that's when the idea in 1998 hit me for Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I said, what I'll do is I'll create this character who draws in a diary, and then I'll release it as a book because I have a better chance of becoming published if I actually release my work in a book and slip my cartoons into there. And so that's where the idea for Diary of a Wimpy Kid came from. Once I got this idea... I wanted to just start writing my book. I said, you know, I've got my idea. I'm just going to start plugging away here and create my masterpiece. Um, But what happened was I kind of took a breath. I said, you know what? If I just start writing, the first thing that comes to my mind, I'm going to end up with a book that's not very good. So I said, I'm going to take my time with it. I'm going to fill up a sketchbook with jokes, with ideas. And then once that sketchbook is filled, I'm going to start writing my actual book. I'm going to take only the best material. I figure if I wrote a bunch of material and then took only the best 10%, that I'd be in pretty good shape. So what I did was I got this sketch pad, which was 20, uh, 77 pages long, and I started writing ideas down. And here's the very first page. It's a little bit blown out on the screen here. Uh, but you can see, that this is where a lot of the characters for Diary of a Wimpy Kid were born. You can see here is Nasty Pants, who's one of Greg's villains. Here a little bit blurry in the middle is, is Rowley. And there's many others on this one page. And I wrote about three or four pages on the first night. So things were going really well. I said, you know, I did the math and I figured I'd be done with my idea book in a month, maybe two months. So what happened along the way was I started drawing smaller and smaller and what was happening was I was really afraid that I was writing too quickly I was writing I was going to fill up my idea book and I still wasn't going to have enough for a good book for a good novel and so by the very end this was my very last idea page and you can barely see it but that idea page right there took me about four months to create And once I was done, it took me four years to fill up my idea book. But I had so much material that if you just took this one page right here and broke it out, just this one page, it would be about 500 pages of written material. So this one page is worth about, I guess, about uh, two and a half wimpy kid books. So by the end, I had much too much, but that was really a good thing. And there's this book that I read just recently called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. it's a great book, and it's called the, the Story of Success. And the point of the book is that to become an expert at anything, whether it be juggling or playing the guitar or maybe even acting, and you know, really kind of any professional thing, that it takes about 10,000 hours to become an expert, or roughly about 10 years. And for me, it took me four years to fill up this idea book, and then another four years to really craft my first draft and to make sure the cartoon characters look just perfect. So it took me about eight years to come up with my ideas. So I think that that's a good model um, for a creator, is to really take your time with it. In fact, if I ever come up with another idea, I would love to be able to spend 10 years and come up with an, another good idea. But of course what I'll do is I'll, I'll rush things out and I'll say, the iron is hot, so I'm gonna strike you know, again, hopefully. So I don't know, you know what my future is as a writer, but we'll see. Um, so Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I was done with it in about eight years. The ideas that I, were coming, that I was coming up with were really ideas from my own childhood. Uh, I had a pretty ordinary childhood growing up. It was, uh, I grew up in a middle-class family in suburban Washington, D.C. My father was a, an analyst, a military analyst, and my mother was an educator. And so we had really a kind of a normal life, which was really good for me because I got lots of ideas from everyday life and put them into my books. And here's one of the ideas, something that happened to me as a kid, or maybe something that I did to myself, that made it into my books. Okay, so the story behind this picture is that when I was a kid, I was on the swim team, and it was really cold in the morning. Growing up, it was really cold, even in the summer. And so when you'd get in the pool, you'd just be freezing. Also, I was one of the slowest kids on the the swim team. So you'd be in a crowded pool, in one half of the pool was the whole swim team. On the other half of the pool was like the old folks doing jazzercise or something like that. And so we were all crowded in there. And kids were, you know, tapping my foot and, you know, passing me, swimming under me, around me, over me. It was really awful. So what I did was I would always tell the coach in the first few minutes of practice, I'd say, I, I need to go to the bathroom. And they'd say, okay. And so I'd go into the bathroom and then I'd hide there, you know, for like the whole practice. But it got really cold in there and so I'd be freezing and of course I was wearing like a Speedo. And it was one of those bathrooms where if nothing moved, the motion sensor turned off so all the lights went off. So imagine this, this is me in the 1970s, you know, in a cold bathroom. So I looked around me and I said, well, what can I do to prevent myself from getting hypothermia? And so I did what any normal kid would have done, and I wrapped myself in toilet paper. It's true. My parents are so proud. But I think this is where Greg Heffley was born. Uh, the other tactic I used once I got busted for, for, you know, for this action, for this activity, was then I started to just skip practice altogether, and then I'd jump in the pool at the very last second. So what I'd do is my father would drop me off, and then... I would wait till his car was gone, and then I'd run down to the creek, I'd catch tadpoles for like 45 minutes, 50 minutes, and then when it was time to get back, I'd run back and then jump in the pool, get wet, and get out just as my father came to pick me up. Kids don't get any ideas, I see some wheels turning here. But one time my father, uh, he came a little bit early to watch me practice. and so. I walked up behind him and he was looking in, you know, at the pool and trying to figure out which one of these writhing bodies was his kid. And uh, I was standing behind him with like a plastic bag full of tadpoles. So I got busted again. So I never was a great athlete. So lots of my story, lots of my family's stories have made their way into my books. And it's been a lot of fun writing about an ordinary childhood. Um, you know, there are no special effects in my books, nothing supernatural, it's just, it's just regular life. And I think that I was really inspired by Judy Blume. Uh, I read Judy Blume as a kid, and I thought she write, wrote these great stories that everybody could r- relate to. Uh, Freckle Juice and Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing are some of my very favorite books. But, even though all this stuff is about kids, and there's kids here in the audience, the funny thing is, I wasn't writing for kids. All that time, I was writing for adults. Because I came from comics or because you know I wanted to be a cartoonist, I always thought of cartoons and comics being aimed at grown-ups because my father was the one who read the paper every day. And so when I'd come downstairs, the, the, uh, the page, you know, the newspaper would be open to the comics page. So I always thought of comics as being for grown-ups. And it was just something that I got to read as well. So when I was writing Diary of a Wimpy Kid... I really was trying to write a story for grown-ups that would be in the humor section that would remind a grown-up, an adult, what it was like to be a kid. So I was really working very hard to remind the parent who had grown up a little bit too much what they were like as a kid. And so I came up with this cover for for my concept. And you can see that here was my first idea for Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And what I, you know, it looks very grown up. It looks very adult. This is sort of like a day planner, right? And I was pretty satisfied with this. And what happened was I went to, uh, I, I live in Massachusetts now. And I came down to New York Comic Con in 2006. It was the first time I had ever gone. And my boss, Jess Brawlier, he told me, he said, you need to get down there to New York and see if you can get somebody interested in your work. I said, OK. And so what I did was I printed this cover, and then I printed about uh, maybe 12 or 20 pages in a sample packet out of the 1,300 that I had written as my first draft. And I came down to New York, and what happened was Comic-Con was over, oversold. This is when New York Comic-Con was really re- revving up. And it was oversold or overbooked, so even though I had a ticket, I couldn't get in. So I was going to go home, and what happened was... That night, uh, Billy Joel was playing at Madison Square Garden, I found out. And I always wanted to see Billy Joel, and of course, you can't miss him at Madison Square Garden. And that was sold out, too. But still, I went to the box office, and I said, you know, are there any tickets left? They gave me what I believe is the very last seat in the place, because I was in the upper, upper deck, you know, with nothing behind me at all. So I watched Billy Joel that night. You know, I I went back to Comic-Con the next day just to see if I could get in, and I did that day. And so I walked around, and I I started to ask people, you know, do you want to see my my sample packet? And everybody said no. They they weren't there to see uh, samples, and so I was very discouraged. And I said to people, well, actually, at that time, I had started printing online. I had started publishing what I was writing online. And in fact, by that time, I had... 12 million readers online. And I said, Does this mean anything to anybody? You know, that I have this big audience online. And everybody said, No. But <laughs> there was a guy who published a webcomic called Mom's Cancer, and he worked for a publishing house called Abrams, and that, you know, maybe if I talk to Abrams, then you know, maybe they might be interested. And so I felt discouraged, of course, by that, but at least I had a lead. So I walked up and down the aisles, and the very last aisle, I walked down. I walked by a booth, and I saw a Mom's Cancer, and so I froze in my tracks, and you know I, I reached out and grabbed the book, and and the gentleman behind the booth uh, said, you know, would you like to buy a copy of Mom's Cancer? <laughs> and I was like, well, if it's going to cost me 13.95 to talk to somebody in publishing, sure, I'll be happy to do that. By the way, Mom's Cancer is a very good uh, uh, book, but. So I engaged this fellow, and he was very nice, and I, I, I risked taking out you know, my sample packet. I said, well, I have this big audience online, can I show you the sample packet? He said, sure. And um, he took a look at it, and I'd say after about 30 seconds, he said, this is exactly what we're looking for. And so after all that time you know, of, of rejection, and then eight years of working on something, I had instant success. And it was really a magical moment, and I'm very honored that my editor, the guy who, who did all that, is standing right in the front row, So, Charlie, you got to stand up and, and wave to these guys. This is my editor, Charlie Kotschman. But still, and we dispute over this, uh, Charlie, both of us had the same idea for the, for the book, that it would be, that it would be aimed at, at grown-ups. And I think Charlie came around a little bit quicker than I did. But... I remember I got the call, you know, what happens is you turn in your work and then it goes through editorial board and pub board and all these processes, you know, at the publisher. And I remember the day that Charlie called me He said, well, I've got some news for you. The good news is, uh, we're going to publish this book as a series. And I was like, wow, you know, I thought it was just going to be a giant brick of a book, like 700 to 1300 pages long. And I was like, well, that's, that's good, right? And then he said, and it's going to be for kids. And, and it seemed shocking to me that that was shocking to me then. Uh, but I was shocked. I, I did not think that I was writing something for kids at all. Um, and so I, I had to, it really scrambled my brains. I had to think, like, is this book appropriate for kids? And I kind of went over it. And I was like, well, my book is pretty, pretty G-rated anyway. Um, and I figured it was like a little bit on the edge, you know, a little bit borderline. But I thought that kids would get it. You know, I thought that kids might get that Greg Heffley isn't a perfect character, and that's what makes him funny. And I've been very lucky that that's, that that's worked out. But we worked on the book a little bit more. We worked on the cover. <coughs> and here's the cover we eventually came up with. And cartoonists love to hide messages in their books, right? Or in their in their drawings, right? So There's at least two messages here that I can think of. One is that the color scheme is mostly black, white, yellow, and red. And that's my nod to my home state of the University of Maryland, or Maryland, where I went to school at the University of Maryland. And the other is that the color scheme is basically red with gold type up top. And there's a very famous book called Catcher in the Rye, which almost everybody reads in the, in the United States in high school. And it's about a protagonist named Holden Caulfield who criticizes everyone around him, but he's actually quite flawed himself. And so we thought that that would be a pretty good uh, call-out to Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye to have a middle school character who was very flawed and imperfect. So that's where the cover came from. So... After all of that, you know the book came out, and now it's been published in 40 different languages. So it's published around the world in languages I didn't even know existed. I didn't know Catalan existed, but I guess most people know about that language. But Luxembourgian is the newest one. So I did, it really sounds made up to me. But it's published in 40 different languages around the world, and I thought I'd show you some of the covers from around the world. So here is the Korean version. It's got a yellow thing around it called a belly band. Here's the Greek version. This is the Hebrew version, which, as far as I know, is currently the only book that reads from right to left. So you'd have to read it all the way on the right-hand side and read it to the left, because Hebrew is written that way. Here's the Japanese version, which is very cool, because it's very different. In Japan, there's a really different design sensibility. Um, so they, you know, their, their, their illustrations and their designs and their color choices are really different than in the U.S. Uh, but there's something also that's different about this, is that the way that the character's drawn is ever so slightly different. And what it is, is that the characters have five fingers, right? In my books, in, in fact, with most cartoons, uh, characters, cartoon characters have four fingers because that's sort of enough. In cartooning, what you're trying to do is boil things down to their essence, right? You don't want too much detail. And so four fingers is really enough for a cartoon character. But the uh, Japanese editor called us up and said, we need to add a fifth finger to each character. And we said, well, why? And they said... Because if you publish something in our country where the characters have five fingers, the books will be destroyed and the editor's career will go up in smoke. <laughs> you know, it was very intriguing. Why is this? Well, we were told that in Japan, there's a cultural taboo against drawing any human with four fingers. And that's because many years ago, there was a class of people who was discriminated against, and they were called the four-finger people. And so to this day, you cannot draw characters with four fingers so they added a fifth so I'm learning something new every day this is one of my favorite uh, covers right here this is the German version and I'm going to embarrass myself with a pronunciation here I'll go with Greg's Tagebuch von Idioten am Singelt right which means Greg's Journal I'm surrounded by idiots which I think is a better title than Diary of a Wimpy Kid so I was a little bit jealous and I said, "Well, why why don't you just call it Diary of a Wimpy Kid like they do in the States?" And they said, "Well, unfortunately, we don't have a word for wimp in German." So that's why it's named that in Germany. This one's really fun. Diário de um Banana, right? Which is the Brazilian version. And I was very <laughs> excited to ask. I said, "Well, why do you call it Diário de um Banana? What does banana mean in your country?" And they said, "It means banana." <laughs> and there's a little story behind this one, is that there was a guy, I'm pretty sure his name is Fabrizio, and he worked at a publishing house, he, you know, he wasn't really happy there, they didn't give him a lot to do, so he surfed the internet every day, he came across Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and then he went to another job and on the first day he printed out Diary of a Wimpy Kid from the online version, he walked to the publisher and said, I think we should publish this, and the publisher said, I think so too. And so now, that guy is in, in his country is known as the Banana Boy. So <laughs> that's Brazil. Yeah. So Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the third wheel, just came out. How many people have read some of that? A few, yeah. Good number. Cool. Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the third wheel, just came out. I'm very excited that it came out because I worked really hard on it this summer. There were... Days in August of this year that I was drawing for 17 hours a day to get this book done. So it took me a lot of work to finish this one off. And in this story, I tell Greg's story from the beginning, right? Not just middle school, but from the beginning of his life. And I mean the very beginning. So here is Greg at his happiest, right? This is Greg. He was completely happy, right? He was floating around in warm, fluid and taking naps whenever he wanted it. He didn't have to get dressed in the morning, no chores, nothing, right? So that was Greg as happy as he could be. So ever since then, he's been, been trying to recreate this experience for himself. So this is as close as he can come. But in, in this book, The Third Wheel, Greg needs to find a date to the dance, to a Valentine's dance. Everybody's got a date, everybody's got a partner to go with, except for Greg. So Greg is terrified that he's going to end up with Ruby Bird. Who is uh, the only girl that's ever been suspended at Greg's school? And that was for biting a teacher, right? So Greg finally gets a date, sort of, to the dance, but he has to go with Rowley. And the reason he has to go with Rowley and this girl is because Rowley's dad has a nice car, so the girl might think it's a limousine, right? And so the worst thing happens on the night of the dance. Rowley gets the chicken pox, right? So Greg knows that if Rowley's parents find out about this, that Greg isn't going to get to go to the dance. So here's Rowley finding out that he has the chicken pox. But Greg encourages Rowley. He said, just keep this under wraps. Keep it, keep it quiet for one night, you know, just one night. And so uh, Rowley does his best to literally keep things under wraps. Uh, so there's Rowley with a hat and a, a scarf really keeping things uh, private. So his father doesn't find out. So that's the story of the third wheel. I hope you guys like it. Uh, it's a weird book for me because for Greg is starting to sort of date. And I hope he's not getting too old because I like to keep him in that middle school range. But the drawings in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I actually, a lot of people ask me how I do them. And I, I used to use pencil and paper, pen and ink, but now I do everything digitally. So I wanted to show you a few of the, of the sketches here so here's how my drawings come together here is the here's a busy scene in my book it's a family style restaurant and if you if you kids ever become a parent you'll find all you'll find out about family style restaurants from the other side they're often very messy and you know there's always like french fries under the table and all of that kind of thing and I, i can't stand going to them so i wanted to really capture the scene so here's a rough sketch and you can see I draw things on this computer here, but I use a tablet called a Cintiq tablet, and I draw everything in rough form, really rough form to begin with. And then I start to, to ink the drawings. You know, I lay black lines over the color drawings, and then eventually, I have uh, something like this. So that one drawing is one of my more complex drawings, and this one, I would say, took me between two and three hours uh, to complete. So it really takes me a long time to finish off one of these drawings. I'm gonna try this out. I haven't tried this out in this form yet. What I did was, I did a drawing. I was in, in England last week. And in England, there's uh, the Buckingham Palace where there are these guards who stand there very you know, stiffly. And then tourists usually try to make them laugh or get some sort of response out of them. So I wanted to try to draw a picture and capture it and to kind of show you what how I put my drawings together so I use a program called flash and what I do at first is you might say this is cheating but what I do is I put my head templates down and the reason is I start off with these head templates to get the sizing just right right because my characters have so few lines that if anything looks a little bit off the characters really don't look right so here I was putting the heads down and then I start getting, I start going with a really rough line. And what I'm going to do here is, because this drawing probably took me about a half an hour to do, is I'm going to skip around. So you can see here I've got Rowley in a Buckingham uh, guard outfit. And I'm roughing everything in. You can see Rowley's got his, uh, his lines. You can see I use different colors, and that's to keep things separate from each other. and that's. A great advantage of doing things digitally is that I don't just have one color of pencil. I have lots of different colors going on. So moving around here, I wanted to show you this, is that it actually takes me a long time to do these drawings because I'm constantly correcting myself. You can see that I'm redrawing and redrawing these fingers because I like things to look just perfect. And what the computer does is it smooths things out just a little bit extra. So I'm drawing the lines but you can see that the computer kind of takes it just that one little step further. So when people say to me, how do you get your lines to be so smooth? Well, it's because I have a little bit of help from the computer. So it's a nice mix of a human being and a computer. So here's Greg making a face at Rowley and then I'm drawing his feet and drawing Rowley's teeth, his ear, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll show you at the very, very end here Usually I don't use color in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, but in this case I did. I thought every once in a while i use a little bit of a splash of color and it will really tell the tale. So here at the Buckingham Palace, the guards, they wear red coats, and you've probably heard of the red coats from the Revolutionary War. So I just have this little splash of color at the very end. Let's see if I can get that in. i go my color palette over here. And of course, it's really easy to color things in on the computer. So that's how I do my drawings. I wanted to share share that with you. So a lot of people have seen the Diary of Wimpy Kid films, and I got to see my drawings—you know, these simple line drawings—come to life in in real life. And so here are just a few um, items from the film. For example, I drew Greg's cell phone, which is called the Ladybug on paper and then that's the the version in real life which i have in my home and roderick gets greg's dog sweetie a dog dish but of course he's a terrible speller right (laughs) so it's spelled sweaty but the most fun part of seeing my cartoon drawings come to life is seeing it come to life in in the actors and their portrayals of the characters and you can just see if you look at this picture of robert Capron and Zachary Gordon as Rowley and Greg. You can just see that they're the characters. The casting director did such a good job of finding the right kids to play these roles. And I don't know if anybody knows this yet, but as a very special treat here, we actually have Robert Capron, who plays Rowley, uh, in for a special visit. So I would love to bring him out here. Can we have Robert Capron? And a round of applause. (laughs) Hi, guys. So you don't really look like Rowley anymore, right? Can you explain? Well, um, in the Diary of Wimpy
0: Kid movies, for the first two, they dyed my hair because this is my natural hair color. And if you look at the picture, you'll see that my hair color kind of resembles Zach's. And for the movie, they didn't want to do that. They wanted me to seem different, so they dyed my hair. But for the third Wimpy Kid movie, this one, I was in a movie called The Three Stooges. I played young Curly. And they shaved all my hair off, and so when it was time to do the third Wimpy Kid movie, I had no hair, so they made me a wig. So that's actually a wig.
1: Where did they get Where did they get the wig from? Is it like animal hair, human hair? Where do you have any idea?
0: It's human hair, but I actually think it was from Russia.
1: From Russia. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so there's sure. a bald kid, you know, in, in Russia. Russia. Right? That's sad. Now, so did you? How did How did the wig stay in place, though?
0: they actually glued it onto my head. Like I'm not kidding. They used like a special kind of glue, but right. it was
1: glue. So what happened like you had some pool scenes. What happened in the pool scenes? Did did the did the wig, did you find the wig like floating in the deep end or something?
0: Yeah, they were really worried that that was going to happen, so they put like pins on too <laughs> because like by that time my hair, like some of my normal hair was back. And but the wig was still there. So what they did was they'd slip a pin like into the wig, and like attach it to my normal hair, so that like it would be impossible for it to fall off.
1: Right. Well, do we have actually? I would love to cue up. Um, we have a clip of Rowley acting in the movie. So just take a second to transfer over here, and we'll show you a clip from the movie if you haven't seen it yet.
0: Have you ever been on this ride? It's way scary. Well, my brother knows a guy whose second cousin's half-brother went on this ride and got decapitated. No way. Way. It's true. I was working the ride that day. The car came down, and his head wasn't in it. When you guys get to the top, make sure not to rock the car back and forth. That's how. Make it it's something I have to tell you. One time I went to the bathroom and I didn't wash my hands. One time I used your toothbrush to get dog poop off my shoe. Wait, what ah! 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 Ah!
1: Robert? What was that scene like for you to film? I was there that day, but I'll let you tell the tale. All right,
0: so I was
1: really nervous about
0: doing that. And when I first found out I was doing it, I remember I found out in the worst way possible. And so when, um, because I went out to eat with the producer, and I thought it was just going to be a roller coaster. And then I found out there was actually going to be that ride, and I remember Jeff was laughing. (laughs) I felt really bad. But so the night before, I took like this pill so I wouldn't get sick when I got on the ride. So the entire night before, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. It's not going to be bad. And then I actually got there, and I was like, I can't do this. And so what really freaked me out was that there was a bit of dialogue with me and Zach before the uh, it started, and we had to film that before we actually went on the ride. It was really creepy because we were actually sitting there waiting for the ride to start and it was it was really
1: scary. So I was there too that that ride is actually much 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 taller than it looks. I, I don't know how I don't want to exaggerate but it's a, h it, you're way up there. You're looking like you can see the curvature of the earth, right? You can well, <laughs> I'm not, not kidding. I'm, not, I, I think wrote him that high. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but um but so they got all the way to the top and then by themselves. It was it was actually really amazing because you know, we knew you were scared and worried. Yeah. But then you got all the way up there and as you're rocking back and forth, we can all hear on we all have headphones on, everybody's listening, you know, and it's really tuned in. And then all of a sudden you just started doing your lines. You know, and that meant that you were going to make it, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, kind of. And then your re- reward for that was that you got, you know, on this awful ride, you know. Yeah. yeah. But really the reason I set this up is because I was curious about the hair on the ride. What would you have done if the wig flew off?
0: I would have like flipped out because I wouldn't meant I would have had to do the whole thing all over again. <laughs>
1: and like I don't think I would have done it. I, you had a backup line, didn't you? Is that true? You were ready, you were prepared for that experience. Oh yeah.
0: Um, what was it? I got to think, but I remember I did have a backup line. It was something like, "Greg, I was going to tell you <laughs> right. I dyed my hair" or something like that.
1: I think it was something like, "My mom made me wear a, a yeah, wig" my, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, my mom
0: didn't like my new summer haircut. <laughs> right. That's, That's right. what it was. New summer haircut.
1: <laughs> so, that was uh, it was really cool, you know, what was really cool for me was seeing you guys go from you know first time I ever met you you're ten years old, right? Yeah. And you are now fourteen. Fourteen. And you were what grade were you in then? Fifth. Fifth grade and yeah, now? Fifth.
0: Now I'm a freshman.
1: In high school. So I, I'm gonna show you a picture of Zach. This is myself and Zach at a uh, at a at a Lakers game actually. And you can see he's he's you know, he looks older now and and Robert does too. This was us at a Patriots game just a few nights ago and Robert's father, not just some random guy that, you know, stepped into the picture. Um, but what was, you know, here's you again. Like, you're acting, right? You weren't actually, you weren't actually scared of the Muddy yeah. Hand story. Yeah. Right? All okay, right. good. That was acting. Yes. But tell me, what was it like to work with other kids on a set?
0: It was awesome because with most movies, you don't get to work with other kids because nowadays most movies are like, they've, it's about the father and his son or something like that. But with a movie like this, you get to work with other kids and you get to make new friends, and it was really cool because uh, Grayson, who plays Fragley, he's the one all the way to the right. I'm still talk to him all the time, and I play video games with him and stuff. He's awesome.
1: And you're actually friends with Zach too, right? Yeah. Well, that's what you hear. Like when there's a movie like Harry Potter, you say, "Are Ron and Harry really friends in real life?" You know, but these guys really are friends in real life, right? Yeah. Me
0: and Zach are like best friends. Like we've bonded so much over filming these three movies. Like, we're always going to be friends.
1: So if you had one minute to explain to somebody how you're not like Rowley, what would you say?
0: I would say I'm... I would say I don't have his bad hair. Right. I'm not as dumb as he can be sometimes. And I'm... I'm, i am can actually have serious conversations sometimes.
1: <laughs> who who would you say of all the kid actors was the least like their character, like their real personality was the least like their uh their on screen personality? Because you actually have a little bit of rally in you. Yeah. 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 Right. And Zach is a little bit of gray. Yeah. Right. But who's the the furthest from uh Gr- the character? Grayson, definitely. Grayson. And Gr- he plays Fregley.
0: Yeah. Like, it's so funny because, like, when you're watching the movie and, like, you're watching Fregular, like, this kid is weird. <laughs> when you meet Grace and you actually get to know him. He is honestly one of the coolest kids I know. Like, he's awesome.
1: That's cool. I would have said uh, Patty Farrell, Lane McNeil. Yeah, Lane, right? that too. Yeah. Lane is the villainess in, in, you know, Greg's uh, Antagonist. Is that what you would say? Yeah. Uh, and so she uh, she's actually really super sweet and yeah, fun, fun to be Yeah, she's really around. nice. Yeah. So I wanted to, uh, we're going to, in a minute here, we're going to open this up to questions, but I wanted to uh, finish up telling you a little bit more about Diary of a Wimpy Kid. So I've gotten to do crazy things because of this series. You know, being here is one of them. One of the cooler things I got to do was in May, I got to speak at the Sydney Opera House, which is picture here. That was really cool. I, I've gotten to meet three U.S. presidents, and uh, I just got back from... Uh, a tour, a Wimpy Kid tour. But I think one of the coolest things I've gotten to do was here in New York, I got to actually create a balloon for the Macy's Day Parade. How many of you guys have seen the Macy's Day Parade on TV or in person, right? So you have these giant helium balloons. And so I got to create one for Wimpy Kid. I got invited to do that. And so it started off with a rough sketch, like most things do. Here's Greg sort of clutching his diary to him. And uh, this is myself and Charlie working on the clay model with the sculptor. We wanted everything to be just right because I think, I'm not sure if I'd be exaggerating to say that the Greg Heffley balloon is about as long as this room. Uh, So it's really quite huge. And this is the balloon last year uh, lifting off the ground. It was the first year I got to walk the balloon. This is myself and my brothers whose stories, you know, some of their stories are in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books as well. And we got to see it float down, uh, you know, uh, the main thoroughfares here in New York City. I really like this picture uh, of Greg with the Empire State Building in the background uh, because, you know, a lot of my story started right here in New York. And I also wanted to say that, you know, to any of you kids out there, I I just wanted to hope to inspire you. You know, I'm not a particularly good illustrator or a good writer, uh, but I did have an idea and I was tenacious. You know, I stuck with it. And I worked on it for for a long time. And so I wanted to say to you kids, if you guys have an idea that you believe in, just stick with it, and maybe one day you'll get to see your ideas fly as well. So thank you very much. And this concludes the speech portion. And now I think we have have some time for some questions. So we're going to have a roving microphone.
0: Uh, Why do you always do it in black and white? And why do you always do Greg and rally to get it at the end and they they have a good time together get it at the end
1: you know that's a funny well I'll, I'll answer those questions i use black and white because of two reasons one color is expensive <laughs> so you know if we print everything in color it costs about twice as much but also like what i really like about cartooning is that you're trying to simplify things and so i feel like all i need is black and white Sometimes I write about like a, somebody's wearing a bright green shirt or something like that. And then I was like, "Ooh, I wish I had color. But, you know, I think black and white is enough. And then the question about why are Rally and Greg always fighting and then getting back together? I think uh, I think that happens in a lot of friendships. You know, when I was a kid, we'd always get in a fight and then, you know, and then we'd always get back together again. Does that happen to you and your friends or do you even fight? Yeah.
0: Me me and my friends, we always make fun of each other, and sometimes one of us offends the other too much, (laughs) but we're always okay.
1: So, But by the end of the story, you're good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Good questions.
0: Hi, my name is Evan, and this question's for the both of you. For the movies, what was Zachary Gordon like from your perspective?
1: What was Zach Gordon like? He's not here, so. (laughs) No,
0: no, I'm going to be honest. Zach was awesome. I became really good fr- friends with him. He's a really good actor and he's a great guy. And he is hilarious. Like when we're filming, we'd always be joking around.
1: He's awesome. Yeah, Zach is a really kind-hearted kid. You know, he does a lot of charity work. He works for kids who are sick, and he's ju- and he's a kid himself. I think he'll grow up to become uh, to really be a child at heart and. You know, that's one of the most fun things about these books is that there were no jerks. You know, there there weren't any kids who who behind the scenes were really different in that way. You know, th- these are good kids, and I, I think it's uh, one of the things I like most about the you know about the story of Diary of a Wimpy Kid on film. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Uh, how do you uh, did it take a lot of planning to make the book? Did it take a lot of planning to make the illustration of Greg?
1: It did. You know, Greg Hefley, like I showed before, has actually been around for a long time. But I took a whole year to keep refining him and make sure he was perfect. Because what I never like in cartoons is when you see, like, cartoons that have been around for a long time, even a cartoon like The Simpsons, how they change over time. And I think that sort of breaks the spell. I think that you want your cartoon characters to look consistent because that's how you believe in them. So I wanted to make sure I drew him and redrew him and redrew him until I had him just perfect. So great question.
0: How did you make the Japanese cover?
1: You know, I didn't make the Japanese cover. Actually, my Japanese publisher did. So once my books go out into the world, a lot of times other people you know, do the artwork. But actually, the last question actually one it, it gave me one for you, Robert. What's it like when you see Rowley on a page, do you say, that's me? Like, do you just uh, link to him like that?
0: From, that didn't really happen to me until I read the Wimpy Kid movie diary. Like, that was when it really clicked for me. Because when I was looking at it, I was like, that's Rowley, but that's also me right now. Like, that's supposed to be me. And ever since I read that, now whenever I read the books, I always envision him as me.
1: Do you think you look like Rowley?
0: Mm. (laughs) no I hope not
1: I think on screen you do on screen on screen I do Yeah. Jeff um, it took you um, eight years to get this where it is today what how did you support
0: yourself during those eight years financially and then what kept you going all this time and not give
1: up on your dream well, I, I can answer that in two ways. One or, uh, is that I worked as a computer programmer, and I created a website called Poptropica, which is a virtual world for kids. And that was and still is my day job. So I've been continuously employed uh, on that website. Um, but what kept me going was that I felt like this was my opus. Like I knew Diary of a Wimpy Kid, it just felt right to me. And I wanted to make sure that I got it right. And in a way, I think I was sort of delaying. I, I thought for sure I would not get published. You know, I thought the book was too strange. Um, it was about kids aimed at grown-ups, so I really was trying to put off the next round of, of rejections. And so I think that I that was one of the reasons. But I just I wanted to get it right.
0: Hey, um, Jeff, I was wondering. Um, so how old are Greg and Rowley in the third wheel?
1: I don't know how old Greg and Rally are in the third wheel. I think that's one of the fun things about cartoon characters. Well, I put them in middle school because I don't want to know how old they are. You know, so it's sort of a vague time period, but it's funny because in my on my cartoon pages the characters can be stuck in this, you know, uh, pre-adolescent amber, if you will, forever. Right? They're just stuck at the same age forever. But in real life, as you can see, you know, we started making these movies when these guys were real middle schoolers. They were literally going into middle school um, at the time that we filmed the first movie, and already, you know, in just a short time, you guys are like young men. So it's, it's, you know, that's what I like about cartoon characters—they don't grow up too fast on you, right? <laughs>
0: Do you know what your next book is going to be?
1: One of the fun things about the way that I write is I have no idea what my next book was going to be about, and I, I won't know until June of, of, of 2013 because the way that I write, my editor is having a heart attack here. Um, the, the reason is, is because the way that I write isn't like a regular uh, author. What I do is I come up with jokes, a bunch of jokes, 350 jokes to make a book. And then what I do is I take a look at all those jokes, and I say, can I get a story out of this? And that's why my stories aren't especially strong, but the joke writing's pretty good. So I, I feel like I'm still a gag writer. I'll tell you when I, uh, when I come up with an idea for the next book.
0: Um, uh, how many um, characters are in the series?
1: In the series, I have no idea how many characters there are, but I would guess of all the named characters, I'm going to say 600. Can I name one or two? Yeah. Greg, Rowley, and Ruby Bird. There, I give you three. Good question.
0: And did you um, do the drawing and the illustrating?
1: I sure did, yeah. Both? Yes, I did. Cool. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but why was the decision made to uh, not have the movies be, be uh, animated? And uh, hate to ask it in front of the <laughs> actors, but <laughs> no, is there a part I, of you I, that wishes that it had been, or is there a potential for maybe doing animated versions? I'm actually working with Fox now on an animated holiday Christmas special. Um, so, th- you know, we're going to move into animation. I think that's a good time uh, for that. But I think we wanted to see the stories expressed in a different way. And you know, The Hobbit uh, just came out the other day. And my, one of my favorite uh, TV specials of all time is the Rankin-Bass version of The Hobbit, right? I thought it was a great animated story. And now there's a live action version. And it's just a different expression. So I think we wanted to see what human beings could bring to it. And I think they bring a lot of heart and emotion to the story. So I think we're out of time. So we both want to say thank you very much you. for coming out here. Thank you. It was a real pleasure to do this event. Thank you, Apple. Thanks.